We've started this series called Life is Good, Being Stewards of the Gift of Life. And we are going to be talking about uh, abortion. We're also going to be talking at the end of the series about euthanasia. That's also the stewardship of life at the, at the end of life. Uh, but we're doing this series. We originally thought right now we would be in Second Peter, that we were going to get back to what we did First Peter a year ago and get into Second Peter. That was our original plan. Uh, but several weeks ago, as Pastor Nick and I were, were talking about it and thinking about it and praying about it and continuing to seek God's guidance in these things, uh, a few things made us, uh, just led us to the conviction that we wanted to do this series now and we felt it was important and we felt the timing of this uh, was very strategic as well. On December 1st of 2021, there were oral arguments that were held before the United States Supreme Court in a case called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. And we probably won't know until June what the uh, court's decision is going to be in that case, uh, but it's going to involve abortion and it's going to involve previous court cases. Uh, and some of you are well-versed in this. There are other kids and other people here that maybe aren't. But it was in 1973 that there was a case called Roe versus Wade. And in that case, the Supreme Court at that time decided that uh, they said that the Constitution gives the right to women to terminate their pregnancies, to abort the, the children that are in their womb. And ever since the time, there has been debate about that. Some people that have, have loved that decision and others have thought this is uh, maybe the worst uh, decision that has ever happened because of the results. And there have been an average maybe a, a close to a million uh, children in America every year that have had their lives ended because of abortion. I mean, that's a lot of impact and people are wondering, well, is this the time that finally uh, maybe Roe versus Wade will be overturned, that they will say that was, that was wrong to decide that? And it probably won't be the case. Uh, in a perfect world, they would decide that uh, abortion just should not be allowed because it is morally wrong and life should be protected. But the, the more uh, realistic possibility, that is a possibility. We need to be praying about what will happen with that is there could be the case that they decide that, that Roe versus Wade was wrongly determined because there really is nothing in the U.S. Constitution or any of the amendments that actually even talks about abortion at all. It's not in the Constitution. Uh, they basically made it up uh, from basically from other even rights that aren't even spelled out in the Constitution but they wanted to be able to settle this, and it was judges uh, basically making laws, uh, being activists, and Im imposing this on everyone. Now, what happens if the Supreme Court decides that Roe versus Wade uh, was wrong, and they strike it down or they change it quite a bit? A lot of people may think, oh, that'd be great, then uh, we'd be done with abortion. But realize that even if that is what happens, and we don't know if it will, there's been many times where we've thought, okay, the court was going to, to fix things and 
It's like uh, Lucy and with the football in the uh, Peanuts comic strips for you to remember that. It's like, oh, this time, come on, you can kick it. And then she pulls it away at the last minute and fooled again. And sometimes it feels like it's going to be that over and over again. Uh, but even if they do decide uh, to do what I think is the right thing and say Roe versus Wade was, was wrongly decided and they get rid of it, that is not going to mean that abortion just goes away in America. Uh, what it is going to mean is that each state will make their own laws regarding abortion. And so there are some states where uh, we know that it will be the fact that they will uh, make uh, all or at least most abortions uh, not possible. Uh, there's other states that have already committed that uh, they will make it so that you can abort a baby even if this baby is fully developed and nine months and uh, is, is coming that day that you can still abort that baby. Uh, New York or other states that have those laws ready to go. And there's other states where it's going to be a lot of conflict. There's going to be uh, a lot of debate. So if we've gotten used to, and I hope you haven't, just like, sitting back and saying, well, we've got to wait for the, the court to do something, even if they do something, the, uh, the arguments, the fight, the, the, the conflict is just going to be going. And so we, it's just going to be getting started. If you think it's been crazy up until this point, wait until uh, you know, Michigan and all the different states have to decide, okay, what is our state's view on this? And even, so we need to be equipped to know how to handle this, how to influence uh, younger generations, to influence our neighbors, to influence those around us, and to know what we believe and why we believe this as God directing us. And let's say it doesn't get um, overturned, you know, we still need to be pushing for that to happen eventually. And not just doing that, but also influencing those that are around us, hearts and lives of people, so that uh, even if people could make that decision or later on could try to make that decision illegally somewhere, that they would realize that life is precious, that human life is not something uh, to be destroyed in this way, and they would make the right a decision with this. So we need to be to know how to deal with this and to communicate these things in the right way. I appreciated Pastor Nick's message last week. If you missed it, I hope you go online and listen to it. But he really talked about the stewardship of life. And that's a theme that we want to undergird this entire series. And this is something that you're not going to hear about a lot in the news. They're not going to talk about this in the Supreme Court arguments. But as Christians, we should realize this because this is foundational to everything, that God is the ultimate owner and we are stewards. And if we realize that, that changes how we view our lives, that changes how we view the lives that are put in our care. You know, uh, we were gone over Christmas. We went uh, down to uh, Florida where Hope has family down there. Uh, so we, we missed a, a little bit of uh, time up here while we were uh, in Florida. By the way, we went to the Everglades. There are a lot of, there are a lot of gators in the Everglades. <laughs> By the way, you know what it, the difference is between an alligator and a crocodile? One you see uh, later, and the other you see after a while. <laughs> so, sounds right to me. I, I think that's scientific. But anyways, while we were gone, we have two cats. 
and we needed somebody to uh, take care of our cats. They weren't going to fend for themselves uh, for, for nearly two weeks. And so we asked the neighbor girl to take care of our, our cats. So she came over and she fed them and she, she gave attention to uh, uh, Carbon, our new little black cat, and uh, gave him some love. And she, she took care of him. And we got home and it, she did a great job. Now what if... I was thinking about this as we were home last week because we couldn't attend. We are watching this uh, online, listening to Nick's message about stewardship and the cats trying to distract us. And it, it, it hit me. What if while we were gone in Florida, we came back and the neighbor girl said, hey, while you were gone, I decided to have your cat declawed. And so we took him to the vet and we had your cat declawed. I'd probably think, wait a second, that's, that's stepping over the line. We asked you to feed the cat, take care of it, you know, maybe give it some uh, attention, but we weren't planning on declawing this cat. You didn't have a, a right to take our cat in to get declawed. And what if she said, well, yeah, I declawed this one cat. The other cat, you know, I just thought it'd be great to, like, you know, shave some patterns into the cat, uh, kind of make her look like a little poodle. If we came back and this uh, person that was just supposed to be taking care of our cats did this, we would be, I think, crazy uh, mad. What if we came back and she said, you know, your cats, I realized they were going to be a lot of work. I had them put down. No, you, you can't do that. That's not your cat. You were to take care of this cat, but it's our cat. It, we entrusted these cats into your care, but they're not yours to do anything you want with. That's the difference in mentality between being a steward and thinking that you're the ultimate owner of something. So if we think about our lives or our, our children's lives or uh, even the, the, the child that might be in the womb, it changes everything if we get away from this view that the, the world has that, hey, we are the ultimate owners, we can do anything we want. But instead we realize we're stewards. That means it belongs ultimately to someone else, but it's been entrusted to us, put in our care. We're supposed to take care of it, but there are limits and there are things we need to respect the wishes of the ultimate owner. So this idea of stewardship, this undergirds everything uh, in this whole series. And for Christians, this really should change everything. Let me give you a, a thesis statement for uh, the message today. And also next week is going to be a continuation of this. Uh, we'll continue this. We'll talk about more of the objections against what I'm going to say. But I want to give you a thesis statement uh, that we, I, I'm going to try to uh, defend, to try and argue this, to give you reasons why I believe this is true. And so this is the first line in your bulletin here. Abortion is morally wrong because it is the intentional killing of an innocent human being. That is what I'm going to uh, do my best to persuade you that this is true and why it is true. Abortion is, it's morally wrong. I say that on purpose. It's not just a preference. This isn't like saying, I don't like black licorice. There are some people that like black licorice. I don't understand you people. Okay? My mom likes black licorice. There's some, who here likes black licorice? 
I don't get you. We don't get you. To me, it seems like it's just morally wrong, to, you know, objectively wrong, but we, but we know it's not actually objectively wrong. There are some things that are taste and preference. It's all fine if you like black licorice. I don't get it, but hey, to each his own as far as licorice. That's not what we're saying here. This isn't a matter of just taste or preference. We are saying here that there is objective moral truth, black and white, that this is wrong and that it's wrong morally and it's wrong for everyone, whether you like it or you don't like it. We live in a world that uh, most people don't believe that uh, morality is real anymore, that there's real right and wrong. And most people, it's, if you abandon belief in God, you have a real problem where morality even comes from then. What is it, just personal preference? Is it whatever works best for you? Uh, is it whatever society all decides together? Oh, okay, well, what if you're in a Nazi society? Then you're going to decide, you know, things that, that's wrong. But we believe that there is real right and wrong, moral realism. And so abortion is, I'm going to make the case that it is morally wrong, and it is wrong, uh, when I say it, it's, it's not just distasteful, it's not just because it's ugly, okay? Uh, abortion is not wrong because it is ugly. It is ugly because it is wrong. So it's morally wrong. It's the intentional killing. So we have to be blunt about what we're talking about. This is this is killing. Killing ends a life. And so you have a life that is in the womb. We're going to show that it, this is a life that is alive, and uh, we're putting an end to it on purpose. Elective abortion, use that frame, it means they're choosing to do this. This is not the same as an accident. This is not the same as a miscarriage. This is making an intentional choice to, to end the life of that child, to kill that child. Because if left unharmed, and if things go the way they, they would, the natural course would be for that baby to continue to grow and then to be born. That this is doing something that is interfering with that, uh, killing that child. And actually in very gruesome ways. And this is an innocent human being. And we're going to see this part is key. We're talking about a human being. Uh, that's what's in the womb. That it's, it's not a plant. It's not a, it's not a fish. Okay, because we can talk about, okay, life is important, but yet you can still mow your lawn, Okay. Because uh, the life in your grass is not as big a deal as the life of a child. And you can still eat a fish. Okay? There's a big difference between plants and animals and human beings. And even people that don't uh, realize that the Bible is God's word, by God's grace, should realize that difference. That there is a big difference between uh, killing a, a... an insect and killing a human being. If you went to the the grocery store and you bought some uh, bug spray to kill some bugs at your house, nobody would have a problem with that. You know, if there was uh, a section there, poison to kill your neighbor, that would be messed up because we realize you can't kill human beings. There's a difference. So we're talking about human beings and we're talking about innocent human beings. Human beings that uh, have done nothing to make them deserve death. 
This is not killing terrorists. This is not killing murderers. This is not killing uh, defending your country from Nazi soldiers or somebody that's breaking into your house and trying to kill your family or something like that. This is an innocent human being. So all of these things are important as we get into this. So I want to talk about this in two ways. I want to talk about why I believe it's wrong based on God's word. But then I also want to talk about how we know it's wrong just based on the design of this world and just uh, the fact that we have a shared humanity. So first of all, abortion is wrong based on Scripture, based on God's Word. And so as, as Christians, as people that understand God's Word, that bend our knee to God and what He says, uh, we should be able to know this uh, very definitely from what God's Word has said. I'm going to show you three passages of Scripture. Uh, there's more we could look at, and there's uh, some others we'll look at uh, next week as well. But I just want to show some of the places uh, th- that indicate this. We'll talk about this, but then also how just the logic of Scripture also makes this very clear as well, too. So the first is Psalm 139, and we see that in verse 13 through 16. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. The you here, he's talking to the Lord. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your books were written every day of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is saying that that God knows from from before the beginning uh, that he had you planned. Uh, But then it also talks about that it's not just that, that God started his work when you were born and you took your first breath. That he was involved with you when you were in your mother's womb. And that he was, I love the language that he uses, knitting you together. You think of knitting and just intricately, you know, stitching together and forming. And it specifically says, in my mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, if you study how a baby develops in the womb, it is amazing. And the fact that it, uh, can, all these things uh, just just happen. That it starts as this small uh, you know, a, a, a fertilized cell and it reproduces and it grows and it has the DNA code to tell it what to do and it grows and, de- and develops into, into a, a baby that uh, grows and is, it becomes us with all the amazing things that we can do in the life that we have. It, it is amazing. I mean, we, with all of our technical prowess and all this, I, we have not come up with anything like that. I mean, can you imagine, you know, having a, uh, some kind of computer circuit that you can just leave on its own and it will just grow and develop into a fully functional computer that then, with another computer, can make other computers? And what if it starts as just a single circuit and then can grow into all... I mean, that's so far beyond us. But that's how each of us came into this world. And yeah, scientifically, we understand more about DNA and all this... Uh, tightly packed code that is in even our, you know, the, our first cell that's blueprints and instructions 
that tell it how to grow and multiply and to form. But we see here it's, it, it's beyond just the natural. I think as Christians, we, we know and we recognize that God is working in and through these things uh, for you to be, when you developed in your mom's womb. It's an amazing thing. should give us just, uh, just awe and praise for God. That's what the psalm is, giving awe and praise to God for this. Uh, when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now you're not really in a cave that's being metaphorical for, for the mother's womb. But what an amazing thing this is. And notice he's, uh, the psalmist here is not saying that this, what, David here isn't saying uh, my body was made for me to come into later on. He's saying, no, this was, this was him uh, from the beginning in the mother's womb being put together. Another verse, also in the Psalms and also by uh, David, is from Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, which is this uh, psalm that David gives after he sinned very seriously. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he eventually he writes this psalm about his repentance, returning to the Lord, uh, receiving forgiveness. Which, by the way, if you are dealing with guilt, whether it's because of this issue, whether this is something from your past or something you pressured somebody into, or anything, Psalm 51, spend time in that to see God's forgiveness that he, that he offers. And it, it's all based on uh, the blood of Christ that, uh, from David's perspective, was still future but that he would come and that he would pay for our sins, even not just the little sins, but the big sins. So David, he's talking about his sins. He's talking about forgiveness. But in verse 5, he says, Behold, he's admitting his sinfulness. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Okay, that's another word for sin. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Now that does not mean that uh, when David's mom... And David's dad, uh, on one romantic night, uh, you know, got together that that was sinful or that the, uh, the sexual act that brought David into existence was sinful. What this means, David is saying, I recognize that I have sinned with Bathsheba and with Uzzah, but I recognize that I have been a sinner from the very beginning. And that's, a tr- that's the truth for all of us. That it is not that we become sinners when we sin. We sin because we are already sinners. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I mean, I, I was born with a heart condition. I was born with a heart condition actually uh, from, that I had in the womb from conception. My heart was turned around the opposite way. Now, I don't mean that physically. I mean that in the sense that David had this, that is saying this. My, my heart, my inner core, which, if everything was right, is supposed to be pointed at God, where I love God. I love what is true and beautiful and good, and God and the things of God are the, the ultimate good and beautiful and true. That's, if our hearts were pointed the right way, that's what it should be. But like David and like all of us, our, our spiritual hearts were born... We were conceived, we came into existence with our hearts turned the wrong way. And that's why we love rebellion against God. We love selfishness. We love our own sin. We love doing our own thing. We love the, the evil, the ugly, the bad in this world. Because our hearts 
are wrong. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, this has been what someone's called original sin. And so our, our nature has been corrupted and polluted by sin. So we come into this world with our, with our hearts, our spiritual hearts turned the wrong way. I think that's what David's talking about, that he was a sinner since the very, very beginning. But notice in this passage, he's talking about this is, this is him. That this goes all the way back to conception, not just when he was born, and definitely not when he did some sins later on. Now, David was born with original sin, a sinful heart, uh, but when he was born, he had done nothing criminal as far as man's justice. So I need to make a distinction here, because remember I talked about in the opening statement that we're talking about innocent human beings, that children, infants, were innocent as far as man's justice, as far as anything that um, another human or uh, another you know, human justice uh, should say that there is reason to end a life. But we also have to recognize that we all come into this world not ultimately innocent before the Lord because we come into this world bearing Adam's sin and went with our hearts turned in rebellion in the wrong direction. One last passage. Luke 1, 39 through 44. So this is... beginning. This is after uh, the Holy Spirit had come upon Mary. Uh, she was a virgin and caused her, not the way it usually is, uh, to conceive uh, without there being a man. Uh, it's the miraculous virgin birth. It, it was a miracle. God, okay, he made the whole universe from nothing so he can do this. It's not that big deal for him. Uh, but that thing that was conceived in her womb, we're going to see this was uh, the Son of God. And that even though, okay, we celebrate Christmas and we talk about that being the Son of God coming into this world, uh, technically, the Son of God came into the world when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and the Holy Spirit came into her womb. And I think this is a passage that, that backs this up. It says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, into the town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard and greed, heard the greeting of Mary, okay, so Mary is pregnant, she has baby Jesus in, in her, the baby left in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, and she, she's carrying John the Baptist in, in, her, uh, in her womb. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt with joy. So I think a few things. I mean, this, uh, you read this consistently. This definitely gives the, the impression that this is already the Son of God in Mary's womb. And that you have John the Baptist and Elizabeth's womb, and somehow supernaturally they're they're responding to each other in that presence. So you have this action going on. And also notice Scripture here uses uh, twice. It says "baby," uh, verse forty-one. The baby leapt in her womb. 
Verse 44, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I looked at the, what is the the Greek word that is used there? Because this is talking about that which is in the womb. And the word that is is used there uh, is the same word that's used by Luke later on in chapter 2, verse 12 and 6, for baby Jesus after he is born in swaddling clothes and and laying in a manger and all that. And it's used in other places for infants as well, too. The scripture here, the terminology, doesn't use a separate term, a separate category that, well, it's not a baby when it's in the womb. It's something totally different. It becomes a baby later on. It's a baby in the womb. It's a baby out of the womb. There's no essential difference as far as what it is. And we'll talk about other passages. We'll talk about Exodus 21 next time. But I also want to just mention just some of the, the logic in Scripture as well, too, even if we didn't have these passages. And this builds off some of the material that uh, Pastor Nick had last week. But it is wrong to kill innocent human beings because they are made in the image of God. So even if we didn't have these other passages, just the logic of Scripture tells us it's wrong to kill innocent human beings And Scripture also tells us why. It's because they're made in the image of God. In the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder. You shall not kill innocent human beings. Uh, And then in Genesis 9, 6, it also talks about this. It says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So saying you're not allowed to kill other people, If you do kill other people, uh, the appropriate penalty for uh, intentional murder, at least, is that you are put to death. You are no longer an innocent human being at this time, and capital punishment is something that is appropriate because of the seriousness of what you've done. But then it also gives a reason. For God made man in his own image. And so we know that it's because people are made in the image of God. Humans are made in the image of God. Your cat, your fish, your, your dog, your houseplant is not made in the image of God, but all humans are. And therefore, regardless of their level of development, regardless of what they can bring into society of value, regardless, they have intrinsic worth because they're human beings, and human beings are made in the image of God. Therefore, one of the arguments you don't want to use is this argument that says, well, don't have an abortion because you might be killing the next Beethoven. You might be killing the next Einstein. You might be killing the person that cures cancer. All those things might be true, but it makes it appear that what gives us value is what we can contribute to society. And a lot of people think that. Okay, So yeah, it may be true that we have aborted people that could have uh, cured a lot of our problems. But that is not what gives anyone value. What gives them value is that they're a human being, and human beings are created in the image of God. They have intrinsic worth because of that. So from Scripture, we know it's, it's wrong. And I want to start talking about, we'll see how far we get, and we'll continue this next week, that abortion is also wrong based on the humanity 
of the unborn. And the reason that I want to stress this is because we need to be able to make the argument in what's called the public square. There's not a lot of places, you hear that terminology, the public square. You know, in the old days, there might have been an actual square in town where people would come and meet and have their discussions. And it doesn't work like that anymore. You know, and there might be Facebook or at the mall or with friends. But what this means is we need to, it's important for us, especially as Christians, to understand what Scripture says. But we also need to be able to persuade people and explain it to people that they don't recognize the authority of God over them. They don't recognize the authority of God's Word. Now, God's Word has authority over them. I'm not saying that it doesn't. But it is good and useful for us to be able to explain it from other purposes as well. And we can, just from God's design of this world, I think by God's common grace, we can explain these things also in a way to people that don't yet understand Uh, the authority of God's word. This is not merely a religious argument. Being against abortion is not merely a religious thing. Even in the Supreme Court oral arguments, there were some of the justices that were saying, isn't this just just a religious thing? Trying to make the case that, well, this is just something you believe because of your religion, And so your religion shouldn't have anything to do with our laws, and so we should just get rid of it. The reality is that abortion abortion is wrong is not merely a religious belief. It is religious. It is theological. As Christians, we know it from Scripture, but it's not merely a religious belief. And if you think of other things, we'd realize that too. I mean, for you to, if you wanted to uh, go home and... uh, assassinate your neighbor, okay? That would be wrong, and that would be, that is illegal, and we'd recognize that's morally wrong. And guess what? The Bible does say that is wrong. But we wouldn't say, well, it's just wrong to kill your neighbor because that's what you Christians believe because the Bible says don't murder. And so that's just a religious argument. No, we, we know that it, it's, it's religious, but we other people can grasp this too. There are other things, just realizing that our neighbor is a human. You can't kill humans. And there are other things that we can realize that are wrong. It's, it's not just a religious argument. And so it's good for us to let people know that. We're not just pushing our religion on people. And we need to persuade people who do not acknowledge the authority of Scripture. So I want to focus on a few key questions that will give you, because I think a lot of this, hopefully the best way to do this, um, can, when you get in conversations with people, uh, rather than just, uh, you know, fighting and yelling, and, you know, some, there can be a place for different things, but I think some of the most uh, helpful things are those conversations when you can have someone that is maybe on the edge, or they've, they thought their mind was made up, but you can start to get them to rethink things. And so I want to give you a few questions that I think are are helpful with this. Um, This is not everything that could be said. The first one here, and much of the material I'm drawing from researches by Scott Klusendorf. Uh, He has a great book called The Case for Life and also a video series called Life is Best that we actually went through several years ago at the church here for Sunday school. And I'd like to have us go through again sometime in the future. 
but these questions will help to get at the issues that are the most important things. Because there's so many arguments and so much rhetoric that's out there, and a lot of it can be distractions or talking about things that aren't the ultimate important thing. I mean, you'll get in discussions and people say, you know, every situation is different. It's a private, personal decision. Nobody can tell somebody else what to do with their body. Or I'm personally against abortion, but I wouldn't push my views on somebody else. And what if they aren't ready for the child? What if they can't take care of it? What if there was this extreme issue? This first question, I think, is what we need to, to focus on. And I think it helps clarify uh, everything that, that comes after that. This is a uh, picture of one of my children. So if you couldn't tell here, you can see the, the head there to the right. Uh, so you can tell, Joel, this is you back in the day. This was not a clump of cells that became you. This was you when you were inside, inside your mama. And looking handsome then, looking, looking handsome now. You know, they say that the younger generations are actually, this is a positive thing, you know, actually becoming more pro-life. And part of the reason for that is ultrasound technology. You know, and everyone, they get the ultrasound, they put it on the refrigerator, they post it on Facebook, and this is my baby. Not many people are posting it, you know, saying, oh, this is the clump of cells that I could terminate if I want to. You know, we realize that's what? But I think looking at what is, you know, in the womb has helped people to realize, oh, this is a baby. And uh, it was, even back when Roe versus Wade was decided, it was still easier for people with technology at that time to just think of it as just a clump of cells and kind of a massive cookie dough or something, I don't know. And therefore, you know, it wasn't real personal and if you wanted to get rid of it. But now we know more and we, it's easier for us to just intuitively see this is, this is a baby. In fact, one uh, statistic said that 78% of women who see an ultrasound will end up rejecting abortion because they'll just be convicted and realize this is a baby. And that's why places like Planned Parenthood, they, they don't want people to have to see ultrasounds because, you know, it's like, oh, it'll just make them feel guilty and they won't want to abort their fetus. So the first question that I think is really helpful to focus on is what is the unborn? Is it a clump of cells or is it something that's different? Because if, it, if it's just basically the same thing as some kind of like tumor that you need to get taken out, hey, that's one thing. You know, if it's just, uh, if it's just the same as pulling your wisdom tooth, then you could say, well, okay, it is a personal issue and if you want to choose to get your wisdom tooth pulled, fine. If you don't want to, that's fine. But if it's a human being, that changes things. So then we really need to focus on what is the unborn? What is it that is, that is in the womb? And science is really clear on this. I mean, people love to talk about science when it suits their goals, and they love to ignore science when it, when it, when it actually doesn't. This science is really clear on this. The science of embryology, the study of uh, embryos developing in the womb, tells us that the unborn is a living, distinct, whole human being. That is what is in the womb uh, from conception onward. Uh, textbooks and medical books on embryology state this as well. For example, 
Uh, one, Dr. Lewis Friedhandler, talking about fertilization, says it is that wondrous moment that marks the beginning of life for a new, unique individual. In another medical textbook, uh, The Pathology of the Fetus and the Infant, every time a sperm cell and an ovum, that's the egg, unite, a new human, a new being is created, which is alive and will continue to live unless its death is brought about by some specific condition. So when there's just, and uh, kids, if you need to have to talk with your parents later, uh, but at one point there is a sperm and there's an egg, these are not human beings. Uh, but when they come together, then that becomes a human being and uh, will continue to grow and naturally develop uh, and continue in life. And it has everything that it, that it needs from that moment on. So I say here, the science of, of embryology tells us the unborn is a living, distinct, and whole human being. Um, we, can, we see this from the facts as well. Uh, they are living. They undergo cellular reproduction. Okay, they, they grow. This is one of the things that living things do. They, they metabolize. Okay, they turn food into energy. Okay, this is something that living things do. And everyone, they acknowledge that, okay, uh, it is a living thing that life has been created at this point. They respond to stimuli. Uh, they can respond uh, to, to different things in their environments uh, to different degrees as they, they sense things. They are also a distinct human being. Okay? So they are a distinct, separate entity from the mother. Uh, the, that which is in the womb is not the mother. It's not the dad. It is its own thing. And we know this very clear from science. They have their own unique genetic code, different from mom or dad. Mom has DNA. Dad has DNA. And the new baby gets some DNA from mom, some DNA from dad, but it's its own unique code. You know, every cell that you have in your body has your DNA code, your genetic code, but your children have different genetic codes because they are a different individual, a different human being from you. In addition to that, I mean, you could, you could test this. You can, you can tell this. They also have their own gender, okay? Uh, mom is a female, and half of the children, statistically, that she will have will be males, which is a dead giveaway that this is not part of her body. It is, it is, it is within her body, but it is not her body. They also have their own, their own blood type, all these different kind of markers that, that make it clear this is a distinct individual. And so we realize that it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know, to really just keep talking about, you know, my body, I do what I want with it. I mean, there's other problems with that as well, too. But when you realize it's not just your body, there is another distinct living human being, another distinct person, another distinct body that you're making decisions for as well that has been given to you, we, we know, by the Lord entrusted to your care. That which is in the womb is a whole human being. It's not like a skin cell or a, a kidney 
which they're alive along with the rest of you, but if you detach them from you, they're, they're not alive because they're just, they're, they're just a part. Whereas the unborn in the womb is a whole human being, and it isn't no longer just a, a potential. It was when it was a sperm and an egg, but now it is an actual uh, human being. It is not part of another living entity, and even a, an embryo is a whole human being. Uh, Robert George and Patrick Lee state, from conception onward, the human embryo is fully programmed and has the active disposition to develop himself or herself to the next mature stage of a human being. They're human beings in different stages. And that's the key that it's a human being. It's not a different species. You weren't some other thing that was not a human being when you were in the womb. You were a human being at that stage of development. Nothing had to be added to you to make you a human being. You weren't like a car being assembled in an assembly line. You say, well, at what point does it become a car? You know, it, it develops on its, its own with everything that it needs from the beginning. As it's been said uh, in Klusendorf's material, you didn't come from an embryo. You once were an embryo. That was you. And you say, well, it doesn't look like me. Well, no, that's what you look like when that, you were that age. And this is a big deal. If it's a living human being, we need to treat the unborn as living human beings. There's no reason to say that there were only potential. And there's no essential difference between killing a human being inside the womb and outs or outside the womb. And we'll talk about this more later, but things like size or level of development or the environment, location where they are, degree of dependency, those don't really matter. They don't change the essential nature that this is a human being. And once it is admitted that this is a human being, many of the abortion choice arguments, they lose their force. Because it's not just like having a wisdom teeth pulled or having your, your appendix taken out. This is, this is a human being. And how do you justify killing a living human being? If it's a living human being, it doesn't really work well to say, well, it's just a personal choice. We wouldn't say that about other human beings. You would have to have some kind of really good reason. So that's first a, a question that you could use as you're helping people process and think through that. Some follow-up ones, and where you want to get them to is to realize this is a human being. And some people, they might get that right off the bat. They might realize this is a baby. They get that. Intuitively, people know that. You have to work to deny that, but we know that. A second question that I think is helpful would be to say, okay, how would you finish the sentence, it's okay to kill an innocent human being in the womb when? Fill in the blank. Because people say, well, it's a choice, there's lots of complicated issues. Okay, but this is a big deal. It's, if it's killing a human being, there should be some uh, good justification for this. So when is it appropriate? And when people think about it this way, oftentimes they'll realize that so many of the reasons that are given, it really doesn't fit. Well, if they're not ready for it, they can't take care of it, they, they don't want it, they, those really seem like good reasons to, uh, to, to kill an innocent human being in the womb. If the mother doesn't want it, how does wanting the baby change what it is? How is that not thinking that we, sometime, we somehow play God 
that if the mother wants the baby, well, then it's a baby, and then it, it has the right to life. But if she doesn't want it, then I guess it's not a baby, and it has no rights. That somehow just the mother, how she feels at that moment, can confer that. Say, well, you can kill the human being when all the reasons people say, well, it might not have a great life, it might grow up poor. Are those good enough reasons to kill a human being? And if it's not um, clear to them, another thing you can do is ask this question as a follow-up to that. Would that work as a good argument for killing a toddler? And to have people think that through, that if you're going to say, well, children shouldn't come into this world poor, well, there are a lot of poor toddlers, okay? Is it okay to go around to kill the toddlers? They don't have enough money. You say, well, I can't take care of this child. Well, what if you have the child and you realize this is a lot of work? Is it right to, to kill it then, to kill an infant? Uh, this child will bring me a lot of painful memories even. That may be the case. Is that, would it be justification, a good argument for killing, for killing an infant, for killing a toddler? And many poor women can't afford a child. You know, okay, so can you kill our kids later on when they start getting expensive? I mean, I like to know. I have, I have uh, four kids. I have three teenagers, braces, ski club, car insurance, college. You know, can we just... <laughs> we can't. We realize that. There's more things we could talk about. We'll talk about this uh, more next week. We'll talk about um, some of the objections that are with this. One of the things that we'll look at, too, is that these things do not make an essential difference to the unborn being living human beings and if you should be able to kill them or not. Size, level of development, environment, or degree of dependency. People will claim this makes a difference. Well, it's, it's small, so you can, you can kill it. Really? So you have less human rights and value. Uh, if, you're, if you're small, if you're a short person, you have less rights than a big person. If you're a, a baby in nursery, you don't weigh as much as me, so you have less rights, and it's less of a big deal to kill the baby in the nursery. We'll talk about this more kind of next week. We'll conclude with our thesis statement again. Abortion is morally wrong because it's the intentional killing of an innocent human being. If you one day find yourself in a position where you are contemplating this. You've made some choices. You've gotten yourself into trouble. There are better alternatives. And I want you to know there is forgiveness. There is, is help. We as the church want to help you. We as the church want to help you to help your baby. And if that means that you keep the baby and we come alongside you and give you the help that you need, that is what we will do. Do we hear an amen? Will people here will commit to that? And an alternative, if you decide that you want to adopt that baby, there are alternatives, there are different things besides abortion. And for those of you that are not in those positions, we also need to realize that most of the time there are choices, most of the time, that we can make to avoid these situations in the first place. There is something to be said for following God's plan. 
and waiting for, for marriage, waiting until uh, putting sexuality in the right place. But we recognize you can't turn back time. And we can't undo things that have been done. And so, if you are someone here that has scars, that has hurt from this, I want to conclude just by reminding you and saying again, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That there is forgiveness in Christ for every sin. Not just the little sins. We are all sinners. And we all need the blood of Christ. And the solution for your guilt is not to argue it away. The solution is a Savior that can actually take that guilt away because he took it on the cross and paid for it in his blood. And as it says in Isaiah, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And that's what Jesus does. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to be stewards of human life. Our lives, the lives of our children, Lord, Lord, help us to be positive influences with love uh, to those around us as well, to help them to, to care about um, all human life, including the unborn, Lord God. Uh, Lord, be with our country. We ask that you would help turn more hearts uh, to you, Lord. Uh, we pray for just um, laws and protection uh, for the unborn in our country, Lord God. Uh, but we ask that you would help us um, to do what we can to defend the weakest among us, Lord God, that you love and that you care for. And Lord, those that have pain, those that have guilt, um, those that have something in their past because of this one way or another, Lord, may they turn to you, may they cling to you as the one that died for every sin, and may they have and know that their sins are washed away because of the blood of Jesus Christ that is powerful enough to wash away every and any sin and to make us white as snow. All praise to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.